Greetings, friends, and welcome to the 11th edition of the Rhode Island Builders Association's monthly news and views podcast. I'm your host, Paul Eno, and it's May 31st, 2022. Co-hosting with me today is REBA Executive Officer John Marcantonio. We're also joined by REBA Communications Manager Monica Cummings. John, how are you doing today? Howdy, Paul. Thanks for getting as an amazing guest today, Ms. Kelly. I, I look forward to this conversation. And Monica, how are you this morning? Terrific, Paul. How are you doing? Oh, just, just ducky. Okay. <laughs> so uh, with us today is Susan Kelly, Senior Residential Appraiser and President of Appraisal Solutions in Providence-based Phoenix Real Estate. Susan, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you very much. It's great to see you, Paul, Monica, and John. And just to give you a little bit about myself, I grew up here in Providence. I attended Providence Schools, uh, St. Pius and Bayview, right in our area there. And I graduated from Providence College as well as FIT. And I've had many different careers. And at this point, my first career was in the fashion industry. And then I went into the IT industry. And now I'm here as a senior residential appraiser. And I'm very lucky that I'm able to take my experiences for the last 25 to 30 years in these different industries and apply them to what I do today. And at this point, I oversee a real estate company, an appraisal company of eight appraisers, and we cover Rhode Island and Massachusetts. And we also have branched out to open a brokerage company, which that really has not, we've dabbled in that for a period of time. Personally, I became a broker because I was told it would make me a better appraiser. So I feel that it's definitely given me a good avenue of how to approach this market. I've also have taken the opportunity to become intimately involved some of our other organizations, as well as the Builders Association. I have been past director of the Rhode Island Mortgage Bankers Association, and I presently chair a director as the Rhode Island Manufacturers Association became involved with these groups only to once again have a better understanding of what is happening with the dynamics of the appraisal, residential appraisal world. I presently sit as one of the NAR directors for the, for the National Association of Realtors, which gives me another avenue to have the understanding of to bring forefront what's happening in the appraisal world to intimately see what's going on with the real estate with the realtors as well. So that's kind of gives you a little bit of background about myself and what brings me here today. Very good. I guess that uh, that means I don't have to vouch for your credentials, which I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, thank you very much. John. I, I appreciate that. I have definitely coming into this industry as my third career in my early 40s. I definitely focused on education because I knew that was such a priority in this industry, because as an appraiser, it comes down to a lot of common sense, understanding what's happening in the market, but also being familiar what's happening with the financial industry, what's happening with the Builders Association, what's happening with the Realtors Association, as well as the consumers and what their anticipations are when it comes to buying and selling. Okay, so our subject today, surprisingly enough, residential appraisals, the give and take between builders and appraisers and wherever else the uh, conversation may take us. So John, why don't you get us started? Great, thanks, Paul. So, so, so the, the current market conditions, I mean, look, post-COVID, our industry, residential construction just took off. No one expected that. I didn't expect it. So can you walk us through some of these 
how these market conditions are affecting the, the appraisal market um, and lean it a little bit towards how it affects new construction from a builder's perspective on, on getting the money they need right. for building those homes. And I mean, obviously, there's a couple of different ways of looking at this, and I can walk you through as to where it's going to happen with our market conditions. But I think we take a step back even further, and I think some of the challenges that the builders are dealing with up front in terms of when they're beginning a project to, to develop on their coming up with their fixed costs. So obviously, as an appraiser, we might be coming into a new construction that 18 months ago, we have no idea exactly what that builder or that developer might have locked into, nor do we are even preview to that information or show that even matter to us, because the bottom line is what we're seeing is what the purchase and sales agreement price is in front of us. And I know that we've dealt with this now, John, for over 10 years, you and I have talked about our methodologies as appraisers. We focus on the sales comparison approach more so than the cost approach. You know, is that an area that we can then come back to our clients and say, okay, we should be focusing a little bit more on the cost approach, but bottom line, okay, in terms of what's happening with the inflation and the uptick of the prices and the number of comps. So we are actually seeing in certain areas, you see that we have some homes that are selling more than homes that built two years ago, okay? So there is not a lot of rhyme and reason in our market right now, okay? Based on the supply and demand that we're seeing. So for a builder to come up and say, okay, I'm gonna build 24 lots, okay? So, all right, how is he going to project what his costs are gonna be over the next six, 12 and 18 months to be able to come up with that price is gonna be? And I'm finding what some of the builders are doing is doing cost plus profit, okay? So that's, um, some of them are gonna say they do, yeah, they do cost plus. So they do the cost plus, that's gonna cover them to a certain point. So they're going to be able to come up with some type of realistic marks of the price for that um, home. Okay. So what we're seeing with the builders is that there are certain builders that are struggling with certain areas. Some builders are able to get supplies quicker than someone else. Okay. So how much is that actually affecting their costs? So we come in, depending upon if we're going to come in day one. And if you know, I'm going to give you our little appraisal process, if that's just quickly, as an appraiser, we have a new construction. The lender sends us all of the plans, all of your cost, I mean, all of your um, materials, the sketch, everything that's going to go into this home, okay? As an appraiser, appraiser, we dissect all of that. We take what you have, and then we compare it to what's actively happening in the market. Right now, it is a benefit for the developers and builders that, you know, prices are going up. I mean, so a couple of years ago, we were not seeing the prices going up as quickly to match some of our construction costs. John, you and I had this conversation a couple of years ago. So I'm not saying that we're seeing them as quickly now, but it, they're definitely rising over the last two years as a rate that we never saw before. Yeah, I mean, all, all good points to, I mean, in, um, you know, the, the cost of new construction still continues to cry, cry continues to climb. A lot of people are crying about that. Uh, and it's it's exponentially larger than it's ever been. I mean, lumber prices went from like $3 for a stud to $10 for a stud. You know, kitchen cabinets you can wait 20 weeks for, uh, windows 20 weeks. So the cost structure uh, associated with new construction 
doesn't probably go away uh, as quickly as maybe home prices level off. So the message to a to a home builder who's dealing now with a higher cost for a same size house that might be in the marketplace, it really comes down to the consumer is going to have to pay that portion of the increase, right? Or the lumber prices that increase. It's not going to be something they're going to put in their their loan. Those types right. of and, and John, and you know as well as I do, those commodities uh, we're talking. Uh, we're not. We don't have a shortage of lumber. We don't have a shortage of sheetrock. I mean. Those prices will eventually, I feel, level off. It's not like we're dealing with something that we know we're never going to get this product back. So when we're dealing with the bottleneck of the last two years, and granted, in some ways, and there's been some, for some developers, this has been a good thing because the prices are finally going up a little higher, just like for inflation has helped the rental market. I mean, some of our rents are finally getting up higher to where they should have been a couple of years ago. So like you you and I had this conversation about the construction costs going back. And now you're absolutely right. Like, you know, windows are taking between 18 and 24 months. I mean, so the builders now, or the, um, they know they have to order those windows before they even pour the concrete or whatever. You know, so, and some of these guys are like, all right, if I have a place to get these materials ahead of time and put them in storage, they're even doing that. But at least we're not talking about a commodity that we know is gonna disappear. Like we have enough trees and we do have enough sheet. Like, so we're at least feeling good about that. You know, we also have to feel good about the inflation. Okay, so right now our inflation rate is at 8%. Okay, but we have to also look at the long-term treasury bond is below 3%. I mean, so if you really kind of look at that, that's really a good sign. So they wouldn't be lending at 2.7% if they think the inflation rate's gonna keep on. And I'm just saying as a, you know, you kind of look at the numbers and what's happening around us. But what's good is that the people have paid, the real estate average price per house has gone up. I mean, whatever, between the 15, 20% over, you know, a very short period of time. So we're navigating this. And I do think when we talk about market conditions, and I know we can go back to that, you know, over the last couple of months between like six months versus the last six months. Yeah, we are seeing, you know, things leveling off, you know, so we do see, you know, in terms of, and that's kind of across the board, not saying that, you know, things are, you know, going to stop, but we're seeing that they're leveling off. Right. And I, I appreciate that. Um, and I hope lumber prices do start to come down and the lead times start to become more realistic. But um, it, it, they may. This stuff is pretty sticky. It, we may get back to the situation where new construction has a cost structure that far exceeds the existing prices in the market rate stuff. Um, which, of course, you know, we've had these conversations before, and, I, and it's great that you can help explain some of this stuff for folks too. Like when it comes to codes, specifically like energy codes, and when houses are built to have you know, that those really high R values or be really tight. And a lot of cost goes into all those energy features in a house. Um, those things don't generally comp and they don't comp out, right? So it's a square footage. You could have a house with, you know, 20, $30,000 worth of extras, you know, solar ready, spray foam insulation, um, you know, air exchangers, all these different things, heat pumps, whatever that, that, that add costs to the new construction. 
but generally those things haven't been recognized too much by the appraisal community. Is any, any news on that? Soon? Yeah, and you know, thank you, that was a good question. And you know, we have talked about that. And I also think due to the requirements and the regulations of just the um, energy efficient that we are requiring on every home to be built now, okay? Not just any energy efficient homes. I'm talking about every home to be built has you know, upgraded its standard. Okay, so I just think that has also played into the market as well. But in terms of us going in to appraise a home, and this once again, we've talked about the geothermal, we talked about those tight energy efficient houses, we've spoken about the solo, you know, yes, it depends. We will give credit for a solo when we go into a home if it's owned out. Okay, so if there's a lease, a 20, 15, 20 year lease that they still own so much per month, you know, you really have to think about, all right, that next person coming in, person coming in. But if they own the, you know, solo panels completely out, that might be a different story. But really, I mean, honestly, John, that quite, we are not seeing a huge impact. Our clients have not really recognized us to put a line number and make a $100,000 adjustment because this home has a geothermal, this home has energy, you know, we haven't seen the market accept that type of adjustment. And I do think it could be, I think it's definitely marketable to the buyer. They appreciate that. They say, oh, wow, that's a plus, you know, but are they going to pay more for it? Well, as the codes come in, they're going to have to pay, pay for it. Uh, like you said, the codes are getting more and more strict and uh, the houses are going to be more and more expensive, the new homes for that matter. And, and some of the rationale there is, is you know, if, if they cost you an extra 30 grand for all the new features in the house to make energy efficient, you'll save X amount per year over the next so many years. And those types of things, I guess, are some of the things that they've asked to be included in the appraisal process, but it's still a journey to, to equate the energy advocates with the appraisal community. We, we just build the homes, but... Um, we have to see, and we, we have to have real data. And I know we talked about this going back when we were speaking to some of the energy companies that to identify 50 or 100 show, homes and show us how, how much the energy they've saved so we could actually take real facts. But then the fact is, how many people are living in that home? Is it three people? Is it five people? Is it six people? So it's hard to really pinpoint how much one is saving in that area. Okay, not saying they're not going to save it, but it's definitely a number that is uh, it's hard to like lock in on. Yeah, that's always been the challenge. So I guess that conversation continues, especially for the regulators to understand what, you know, when they make those changes that sometimes not everything is going to be, uh, you know. Right, and John, we look at the interest rates and we look at how the interest rates have gone up, the stock market has gone down. Just that in itself, that in itself is gonna have a cooling effect on the real estate market. And it has already. I mean, transactions right now are lower than they have been, but it doesn't mean that you got to look at what we just went through for the last two years. We just came off some of our busiest years because of our refi market. So now that market has been more or less cut in half. So now as appraisers, you're dealing just probably like if you're doing just financial work, I'm not talking estate work, divorce work, anything like that. You're strictly working with, you know, the buyers, the lenders, the realtors, the builders, we're making transactions happen, okay? So in you're just dealing with that world for the appraisers. 
I was in Washington last week um, as a representative of the leadership for the Appraisal Institute, which is another hat. And I've been given the, um, from the Appraisal Institute to represent the state of Rhode Island. So I had the opportunity to meet with our delegates last week. And, you know, we met with, I met with um, Senator Reid and, you know, having these conversations as to what's gonna be cooling off the market and what's happening in our market and settling things down. And of course, that's why we were talking about the stock market and then you're looking at the interest rates and how that ripple effect is gonna come into the housing market. And obviously that changes the buying power of that individual that in March might've been buying at three and a half percent, but now they're buying at 5%. And then that's gonna obviously play into the cost that you're dealing with as well. I wanted to uh, point out that in the May issue of the Rhode Island Builder Magazine, we have an excellent uh, Q&A interview with Susan on many of these subjects. And one of them, and I, and I'm, I don't wanna step on your lines here, John, but I know you wanted to bring this up, the issue of accessory dwelling units or ADUs. Uh, of course, particularly with the housing shortage going on now, this is a popular subject. Uh, Susan, perhaps you could talk about that and, and what an ADU would do to the appraisal of a property and how you would uh, appraise an ADU. Okay, so housing, housing shortage. Okay, that is the top subject. That is probably one of our, the biggest subject that everyone is speaking about right now. Okay, besides inflation, building costs, we have a lot of other topics, but housing shortage is definitely one of the number one topics. And ADUs is definitely one area that we're gonna kind of go into. But I just want to tap on one thing that Senator Reid had brought up, and this is something that, not to get off topic, but it is happening in the single family homes. We have companies coming in and buying up single family homes. And that is something that has been a trend, but it's also becoming more so of a trend because we can't identify these companies. So we might have, you know, ABC LLC buying up 10 here, DFCYL, um, LLC buying so many here, but then we have this parent company that's all only owning all of them. Okay, so that's taking away from that first time home buyer. Okay, that it might also be taken away from that, you know, one realtor that would have sold that property or that one attorney that would have closed that property. So they're buying multiple, multiple pride properties and they're gonna, they're leveraging these properties and they'll sell them as a package. So that, right, that's one of the things that is definitely having an impact on one of our, what's happening in that housing market. And it's happening kind of underlining and it's definitely becoming more and more of an issue because it's having an impact on first home time buyers because these companies are not buying the million dollar houses. They're buying that, you know, the, the houses that Zillow, for example, we all know what happened with Zillow. So all those houses that Zillow had, there was a group of them and they sold them as a, a group of homes, okay? So someone's leveraging properties in terms of single families. That's something we had not seen before in the past. And that has an impact on all of us, the builders, the appraisers, the realtors. So that's something that we are, it's hard to identify, but it's definitely something that's on the forefront that is being you know, looked at and knowing that this could become more of an issue. Accessory units. We are happy to say that the bill passed last week, okay, through the house, okay, which this is gonna open up a lot of doors. And I think as we move forward with this accessory um, unit bill, 
and hopefully making some amendments to it as it moves forward, it will open up more doors, okay? So an accessory unit, an accessory unit is an additional living space independent from the primary dwelling. And we say independent from the primary dwelling because an in-law apartment is part of the dwelling, okay? So some there's, there's some confusion between an accessory dwelling and an in-law dwelling, an in-law unit, okay? So, but we're gonna stay with the accessory units right now. The accessory units, what hopefully we'll be able to do, and right now from the appraiser's point of view, we go into a home, if there's an accessory unit, okay? They can rent it out, they can use it for a family member or whatnot, but now what they wanna be able to do is they want to make some changes that they can be actually rented out, okay? The changes with this new bill coming on, and this is something you had just mentioned, is they're gonna be able to build an additional home. Like Paul, you had just said, someone had said to you, you should move out of your house and let someone move into, um, you know, you build an, a smaller home. That they're looking with this bill in Rhode Island, and John, I hope, correct me if, if I'm wrong on this, I believe it's 20,000 square feet for the lot size on these on this bill. Yeah, I know the bill makes them by right and takes away a lot of the parameters that were kind of inhibiting the construction of these. Uh, I'm not sure about the square footage of the lot, but it has to be able to handle the, uh, you know, the water and sewer, you know, capabilities and meet some of the setbacks within the community. Right. And the square footage is important because, you know, when I have to say when there's going to be certain areas, okay, in Lincoln, okay, you're, you know, you have a lot of areas that are minimum 40,000 square feet for their, for their lot size, okay, acre lots, okay, how the NAEP is going to start taking if we start building, you know, another unit on those properties, I'm not quite sure, that's going to be, you know, a market reaction to it, but, you know, as I said to David Salvatore, you know, as we look forward on this, you know, we're at 20, you know, if you look at Providence, most of those lots are five and 10,000 square feet, okay? So, you know, if you're gonna be able to, you know, there's a lot of concern about accessory units, how you rent out these accessory units, are they legal, are there proper ways of e egress so that there's no issues moving forward? So I do think the accessory unit dwellings is definitely a plus, and it's a really positive to see that we're moving forward so that we're making changes to legislation to able to um, address this. And I do have to say that from the appraiser's point of view, we can appraise these in terms of if it's a single family home and there's going to be rent, we can put in that it's legal non-conforming. So there are ways that we're able to give credit to these homes if the legislation is able to support it. And then we can translate that into our reports. So, so let me ask you this on the ADU. So unlike a construction loan where, you know, a, a buyer and seller agree to a price on a house and, you know, the, the bank finances it and the, the customer comes up with a difference if it can't, you know, if it can't be financed. In ADU, I'm going to assume, unless someone can just write a check, right, and, and build a flat for grandma or build a Fonzie apartment for their kid, um, is going to have to be financed. In other words, you're going to have to refinance your house based on the extra equity, perhaps, that the EDU brings you or the existing equity, and then put that money back into the house for the additional unit. Is there going to be or has been a discussion um, on your side of the woods here about how that's going to work? Because 
the cost again, the cost of new construction is so high that adding an extra, you know, 500 square feet could cost you over a hundred grand. So is that, you know, is this new cost associated with building the CDU going to be built into the appraisal or is it the appraisal is going to give you an extra 30 grand for something that costs you a hundred grand? Because if that's, if that's the dynamic, then I'm just concerned that this is the Achilles heel of the ADU law is that the average person can't get enough value out of the appraisal appraisal to build the extra unit. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And honestly, I would have to say into a certain point that's going to be coming from a lender's point of view, okay? But from an appraiser's point of view, this is what we do now, okay? So if I go into a home right now and it's 2,500 square feet, okay? And now they're just putting, say they're putting on an addition, okay? They're putting on a 500 square foot addition. Now I'm going to appraise that home as a 3,000 square foot home. Okay, that addition is going to have a bathroom. It's going to have whatever. I'm going to add that in. So now I'm going to now treat that home as it's a 3,000 square foot home. And I'm also going to make adjustments for if it's a new, you know, obviously depending upon what year the home is to make adjustments for that. So we're going to go back to the same thing as we're talking about when we're doing a new construction. Okay, and depending upon how that builder and how that's set up. But John, the way that the prices of homes going up right now, as rapidly as they are, I feel we are more in tune to the building costs now than we were before. And maybe it's maybe I'm, you know, off on saying that, but I think about a couple of years ago when we were really trying to struggle with our prices in Rhode Island, just weren't going up as quickly nationally. You know, we were lagging behind nationally. And then all of a sudden, the last two years, we've just like really taken off. Some of we've done uh, quicker increases than Massachusetts in certain areas. You know, but I do think that's because we lagged behind in 2015, 16, and 17, not as quickly. We didn't recover as quickly as some of the other places. So I do think, you know, with the inflation of the houses going up, because we still have as much as transactions might be down a bit, we still have, the demand is still there. So instead of having maybe 15 offers, maybe that builder's gonna have five offers, you know? So the demand hasn't changed. The supply, hopefully we're gonna be able to come into more of a balance, but we're still heavy in the demand and that's what's keeping these prices despite the stock market, despite the interest rates. But I also think a lot of people feel that we're not going to see that immediate effect on the um, interest rates and on the stock markets for a couple of more months. Because remember, we had people already under contract. So, you know, people might be trying to renegotiate prices and things like that. But, you know, I think, John, to answer your question, you know, education, trying to have, you know, being a little more creative with the lenders and putting more, if it's going to be a rental, then developing a rental schedule to say that we're gonna be able to rent out this property. And right now, the way that the rental market is, I mean, we are, you know, inflation's helping the rental market right now. We, you know, we all see it. You know, people can, you know, what they're paying for, and there's such a shortage on rental market too. So is that something that we can work along with the lenders? I believe it is. You know, so I don't really have a full answer to give you on that. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's a new issue. Um, I mean, the ADU law, uh, when it passes or passes uh, soon enough, um, I suspect it could add some additional units both to the rental side and could help alleviate some of the issues. I'm, I'm just concerned about the appraisal. The appraisal is going to, and the, and the bank, you know, lending enough to build the extra, to, to build the unit is going to be a, a part of that process that uh, hopefully will work out. The, um, uh, are you saying, if I heard you correctly, though, if it, it is available to rent, that it, the bank and through the appraisal process might be able to count yeah. that rent towards the value of the unit? If you, it's just like if it comes, yeah, if it's if you can show that there's going to be an income into this um, unit, then you of course you can take that. You could do a single family with a rental um, unit with it. You know what I mean? You could show some type of rental because we're not talking this as a multifamily. Okay, we're still saying this is on a single family with an accessory dwelling unit, okay? So my understanding is this can be rented now, okay? And this is, you know, so if that's the case, now even if it's being rented to a caregiver, okay? Someone that's taking care of my mother or someone that's taking care of my grandmother, you know? Because what's happening right now is what we're seeing is their older people are staying in their homes longer. I mean, I know personally, just in my own family, I have my future in-laws and my father's both being cared for at home versus being in a nursing home. You know, so normally their house would have been in the market, but instead of doing that, people are coming into caring. We're seeing so many more incidents like that, going into a home, seeing an elderly, an elderly person being cared for by the children. So, you know, that's something that, Versus, I think a couple of years ago, we would be more apt to put someone in a nursing home. And now I think because of the pandemic, and I think also because of the cost, I think young families are realizing that, you know, multi-generations are coming together. And that's something that is definitely we're embracing more so now than I think we ever did in the past. Yeah, I think you're spot on on that. I think energy, um, not just energy, but, uh, you know, all these issues in the housing side is going to create that multi-generational housing again. You'll have families, not necessarily multi-family three-decker types, but a lot of families living under one roof uh, might be more of the norm here. I know Paul's never leaving his pad up there in one socket, are you, Paul? That, that house never going on the market, is it? Well, only if an uh, occasion of alien invasion or something like that. But other than that, I think we're uh, we're pretty well. Uh, that to be a, a paranormal uh, circumstance where the house would uh, would go up for uh, sale. I did, I did have one question before we finish up, uh, John. I mean, with the uh, uh, bowing to your uh, any further questions you may have, one of the things that uh, is of interest to our members, Susan, is the uh, the notion of uh, houses that are they're in high wind areas and flood areas and particularly on the coast. And there was some question about how those are appraised, particularly with new uh, techniques and technical issues, technical uh, abilities, such as uh, fortified homes, things of this kind that, that really will strengthen a building, particularly the roofs and windows uh, when there are storms and sort of thing. How is this affecting the appraisal uh, process if it is? You know, I got to say, once again, we're going to go back to that whole energy. We're gonna, I'm going to go down to a house on in South Kingston, okay? And I'm appraising right down, say, in Jerusalem, a house that's built right there on the water, okay? No matter what, that house next door, the new, if they're building the same thing, they're building them with the same materials, the same requirements, okay? 
So it's coming down to that house that's on that water is the desirability of that location. Okay, so are we really putting into the appraisal of like our sales comparisons? Are we saying, all right, do all our sales comp have the same structure? And if they don't, a good appraiser will say, this house is built for this. This house can sustain. If you have a house that's built to you next door, that's built in 1940, and you know that that's going to, like, you cannot use that as a comp. Okay, that, that's not equal, you know, you just can't do that. Okay, so you have to be, you know, you got to know your inventory, you got to know what you're appraising, you got to understand how this house was built, what was put into it. I mean, we've now had these regulations going on for how long now. So I mean, I've dealt with homes that you have to go up, you know, an elevator to get to, because of the new regulations, you know, so I mean, and is that going to always maintain and then we have lots that are next door to these homes that are vacant because no one can afford to even build there because they can't afford to get the insurance. You know, so there are certain pieces of land, I do believe in Rhode Island, we should, or in many areas, maybe we shouldn't be building on. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to a house, you know, washes away or there's something going on and we build on land that maybe we should think twice about, maybe that's maybe not the most practical place to be building. Okay, uh, John or Monica, do you have anything else for Susan? Well, I know I could keep Susan here all day. So I, <laughs> she has her finger on so many issues and, and these things, um, you know, bringing them to people's attention is a great discussion. Um, Sue, if I could ask you, what, what are some of the tips, if there are any, or, or things that say a builder and a builder's customer could be aware of when it comes no, you to- You keep stealing my questions. Well, hey, stealing them. you got to jump in. I was just gonna I was gonna ask something very similar like even on a on a new homeowner how can you fill the gap of understanding what an appraisal might do or what how it uh, impacts taxes or the gap between like a seller and a realtor and a banker right like how do you it, you know, you go on Zillow, for an example, and you see your house jump from 500,000 to a million two overnight, and people are all excited about that. But then how does that, what are the implications of that? You know what, Monica, when it really comes down to what is going to bring the home in terms of determining, you know, the value or your opinion of value, okay? And location is going to be one of the major ones, and also the size of the home the living space of that home, okay? So those are the two critical things I'm looking at, okay? Where's my home located? And the true GLA of this home. And the reason why I bring that up is because there's a lot of concern about if you have, because we have an the ANSI system. And the ANSI system is something that as appraisers, as of January, uh, April 1st, every home we go into, we have to appraise it according to the ANSI system. And this is an American National Association standard system that the Builders Association, John, you've been using this right along. Am I correct? Well, you keep talking and I'll let you know. <laughs> well, no, because isn't this like, but they told me that the builders use this, the architects use this, everyone uses this ANSI system in terms of measuring. So what they're trying to do for us as appraisers is that we met with Fannie and Freddie Okay, and more or less, he said to us, there was a group of 10 of us appraisers, and they said, there is no reason why I should be receiving 10 or 12 appraisers 
with different living space. There's, there's no reason for that. Why are we not on some type of standard system of measuring a home? So I go back to the build, like, you know, I, I mean, you know, the builders build the homes, you know, there's gotta be some type of, you know, this is the standard now that's coming forward to us. And that as of April 1st, we're gonna implement. So that changes, that's very critical for people to be aware of because people should know how big and really what, you know, how big their homes are and what they're actually buying. And that when I bring up this point is because there are concerns about it and that it is a critical area when it comes to valuation. Some people, I did two homes last week and they were the, um, the, low, the lower level was included in their living space, okay? And that homeowner thought their home was 2,200 square feet when it was really only 1,100. So that homeowner's value went from in their mind from A to D very quickly because they were misinformed because what their true living space was of their home. And that's just what's happening. That's one of the things that we're seeing right now, but that's a communication between us as real appraisers, the lenders, the Realtors Association. I'm glad that the Builders Association has some type of standard um, to my understanding, which maybe I could be wrong on that, but we have to have some type of uniform system so we're all looking at the property with the same set of eyes so the buyer understands what they're buying. That's our job, to be honest, what we're selling them or what we're appraising. Yeah, when it comes to new construction, um, you know, what's dictating the price uh, is, is you know, cost of labor, materials, and home design. Uh, so, I mean, I know, and speaking to what you just said, you've got location and size. What, what else would you add in there as far as, you know, say a top five of, of the things that drive the, the, the value of that house from an appraiser standpoint? Is it, you know, is it kitchen? Is it bathroom? It's not energy so much, right? Is, does the outside style of a house, like all the roof lines and fancy, you know, uh, siding, like all these things that people throw into a cost of a house that really don't appraise out sometimes like what's what's kind of advice would you give to a builder or a potential customer about yeah you you want a four thousand square foot house and you want to be able to afford it then focus on you know size location and then these other things can wait right right and i really have to say the market is determining uh i can speak firsthand on i sold my house a year ago and my house was a very kind of an old colonial it didn't have the high ceilings all separate rooms. That was a perfect house for the pandemic. People wanted to come in, be able to shut doors, have people be able to study. I mean, it's really, it's very interesting because, you know, you can go in as an appraiser, the, the market determines what's really happening. What's happening in the last two years with the pandemic, that kind of shifted what we were doing as young parents I go into more homes now, I see living rooms set up as little classrooms. Based on what happened two weeks ago, I can see more parents being a little reluctant on sending their children to school because there's a fear now. So we're kind of dealing with as appraisers, as builders, what's the reaction to the market and what the needs are? We have the millennials, not even millennials, young people choosing to work at home. 
So if I'm a builder, I have an office. There's no doubt about it. I'm hardwiring. All right. I'm putting in hardwire. I mean, I, I, to me, I'm a true believer. You don't want your internet to go down. You know, you want to be proactive as to think about what are the little things that really count? You know, I don't think space in terms of people aren't looking for that huge kitchen and that like, you know, they want to be practical and they know they understand the building costs. And I think our generation was looking for more of those bigger homes. I look at my own children. I have four children ranging from 25 to 30 and or 24 to 30. One is adopted. So, but, um, and you know what their needs are and they're not looking for that big house. They want something that's manageable. They can work from home and that they're able to like afford and still be able to go on a vacation. So. On John's question there too, what about outside, right? Like HDTV and, you know, all these remodeling shows and also COVID has taught us kind of like this outdoor living space, obviously in the Northeast, it's limited. Does that weigh into appraisals at all? Is that one of the big top five? What that right, looks Monica, like? Monica, just to jump in on that, there are a lot of new homes where the, the you know, the contractor and the customer are trying to envelope in the, the outdoor living space, the pool, the big patio, the out, you know, outdoor living screened in porch. Right. Are those things, uh, yeah, yeah, are they appraising in, into the mix a lot? Oh, oh, they absolutely. And I'm gonna speak personally again, I was lucky enough to live in, a, raise my children in a home that I never had to leave. I had a backyard that they could, they never had to leave. So I can understand the advantages as a mother how important that is, especially when you go through a situation of the pandemic that young parents are in a home situation and they know how important it is for their children to be able to be out in a yard and how important it is for them academically to have space to run around in safe areas, not just like, but, and it could be a park, it could be areas like that you're, People are looking in neighborhoods that they can walk to a park versus having a car versus they want to be able to walk to a store. Things that, you know, they want to be able to say, I can cut costs in this area and maybe we're only going to have one car in the family because we don't really need two cars anymore because of where we live. You know, they, people are really rethinking about thinking that, you know, using more public transportation because they have to balance out some of these young families where they know housing prices are not going to change. They know that, you know, I shouldn't say not going to change, but they know they're all going to, they're going to be a certain amount of their income for many, many years as we move forward. So what, what other areas can they make some adjustments to? I don't know if that answers that question. Oh, okay. Well, Susan, uh, amazing information. The listeners are going to love it. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, I guess that's about it for our uh, May 2022 podcast. In the meantime, the Rhode Island Builders Association is back at full speed. John, why don't you fill us on uh, fill us in on what's coming up? Well, I mean, as far as our events go, we have uh, many of those coming back. We're in full force with our clam bake in the month of August. We have many networking and social events. All of our education programs are back in person if necessary. Uh, our home show is back online again, and so yeah, the association and all of its advocacy efforts up at the state house. Uh, are back in full swing as they normally would be. So if you need anything from our safety service to insurance, to information, uh, please reach out to myself or any of the team members there at the Builders Association. You should know the number by now. By now, if not, it's 438-7400.
and visit ribuilders.org anytime. So I'm Paul Eno here with John Marcantonio and Monica Cummings, and we'll see you next month on the Reba News and Views podcast. And thanks again, Susan.